Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Several years ago, Christian recording artist Brandon Heath recorded a song entitled, I'm Not Who I Was. And in the song, he talks about an individual he had a relationship with who knew him one way, but did not know him the new way that he was. And these are the words he he said in his song, I wish you could see me now. I wish I could show you how. I'm not who I was. That title forms the basis of my my sermon for today as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, chapter 3, uh, no, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm sorry, I've already moved past chapter 3. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As we look at the the words of Peter, and Peter says, I'm not who I was. Uh, He tells us that we're not who we were. At one time we were this way, but now because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we now are this way. Things have changed in our life. So I want you to follow along as I read these words this morning under the heading, I'm not who I was, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Peter writes, therefore... Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. First truth I want you to see in this passage is I'm not who I was in regard to to sin. In verse 1, there's two great doctrines that are revealed in verse 1. The first one is the doctrine of substitution. Listen to the passage again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. He's saying that Jesus Christ was our substitute on the cross. This is what he said in chapter 3, verse 18, when Peter wrote, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So Peter is saying once again, he said, because Jesus Christ is our substitute, we need to understand that because that's the basis of our forgiveness of sins. That is the basis of of our relationship to sin. We no longer have a relationship with sin because Jesus Christ was our substitute on the cross. Now notice what he says in the latter part of that verse. He says, done with sin, for he says, he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, as you look at that, it seems to imply that that at one time, Jesus Christ was in sin. But now that he's died, now that he's passed away, he no longer has any, he's not in sin. We know that can't be true, because we know that Jesus Christ was without sin. 
So what Peter is saying, he's not saying that Jesus ever sinned. He's not saying that Jesus went to the cross for his own sin. Jesus was not dying in sin. He was not dying with sin. He was not dying under sin. He was dying for our sins. So he became our substitute. He paid the price for our sins. And so because of that, he no longer has any relationship to our sins. He dealt with the sin problem fully and completely on the cross, and he's done with it. And he'll never have anything to do with sin once again. He ceased to have a relationship with our sin. The only contact that Jesus ever had with sin was when he became our substitute on the cross. That's the only time he ever had it. So he no longer has any contact with any element of our sin because he's holy and he cannot do that. God's remedy for sin has always been death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. This is clear. It also says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Paul writes and he says, because of the sin of Adam... Death has come into the world. Why? Because all have sinned. Hear me on that. He doesn't say that because of of Adam we're all sinners. He said Adam initiated the sin element, so now we're all guilty. Why? Because we all sinned. Not because Adam sinned, but because we sinned. We choose to sin. That's what we do. But the doctrine of substitution means that Jesus became our substitute. He paid the price that we could never pay upon the cross of Calvary when he paid for our sins. But there's another great reduction revealed in this passage. We have the doctrine of substitution. Then we also have the the doctrine of identification. Look at the middle part of the verse. He says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What is it? Therefore, since Christ suffered his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude attitude. This word arm yourselves is a military term. It's talking about a soldier getting ready for battle. He would strap on his armor. He'd strap on his belt. He'd strap on his shoes. He'd strap on his helmet. He'd put on his sword. He would be ready to go to battle. Peter is saying that we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Jesus had in regard to sin. Jesus died to sin, therefore we too are to die to sin. We have identified with him because we have identified with Christ we too died to sins upon the cross of Calvary as a result we've been released from sin. We've been set free from the power of sin in our lives. It does not mean that we will not sin. Uh, How many of you found that out this morning? Yeah, oh man, I got out of bed. I was pretty good until I got out of bed. Then once I got out of bed, I realized I was prone to sin. Uh, I was just prone. Uh, you know, so I found that out. You know, it doesn't mean that, but every now and then, every now and then you run across some individual that says, I don't sin. That, that, that I don't sin because I, I don't do it because I'm, I've been set free from that. Well, that that's heresy. Uh, that's not what Peter is saying in this this passage. Peter is saying that You know, Jesus became our substitute. Christ died for us. But our identification with Christ says that sin no longer has dominion over us because we have accepted what he's done. We identify with what he did. Therefore, 
we are free from the dominion of sin. We're not who we are in regard to sin. Basically what Peter is saying is a summary of what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Let me read a few verses from there. Paul said in Romans 6 verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 11, he says this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says, sin shall not be your master. It doesn't mean you won't sin. It means that, that, that you, you can, you can live without sin controlling your life. You are no longer dominated by sin. You, you can choose not to sin. That dominion, the power of sin has been broken. Your relationship with sin has been broken. Why? Because you now have a relationship with Jesus Christ who's given you power over sin. You are dead to sin. The problem is that most Christians are living their lives dominated by sin. Years ago, I went to visit, I would, used to go and stay a, a few days with my uncle Coley and my Aunt Doris. Now, Coley, was name, his name was Cole Younger, okay? Uh, not that Cole Younger, okay? I'm not that old, folks, okay? Uh, we call him Uncle Coley. Uncle Coley had lived on a farm, and he had chickens and ducks and all these kind of animals that you have, you know. And so one day, we'd we go out there and play and everything and goof off out there in the yard. And one day, Uncle Coley was going to kill a chicken for, uh, for supper that night. Now, you know what I mean when he means kill a chicken. He goes out there, and he picks that chicken up, cuts that head off, you know, and I'd never seen anything like this in my life. I was a city boy. And then all of a sudden, that chicken got there, it's running all over the place. And me, I said... That chicken's not dead. That chicken's not dead. I'd never seen anything like this in my entire life as a city boy. But then my uncle corrected my faulty theology. And he said, no, the chicken is dead. He just doesn't believe it. <laughs> listen, listen, tell them, listen. Some believers don't know they're dead to sin. And so they live their life still controlled by the sin influence of life. But you don't know, you're dead. You have died to your sins. Why? Because you identify with Jesus Christ. Amen. And he no longer has any relationship with sin. He has broken the power of canceled sin in your life. The power of sin has been broken, yet you are still living in your sin. You're living in your pride, you're living in your apathy, you're living in your envy, you're living in your jealousy, you're living in your anger, you're living in your resentment, you're living in your frustration, you're living in fear, you're living in all these things, and you have not been set free by the power of God over your sin. I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ has set you free. You are no longer who you were in regard to your sin. But there's another truth in this passage. Not only are you not who you were in regard to sin, but I'm not who I was in regard to my actions. Look at verse 2 once again. As a result, what? As a result of what we just talked about, okay? He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Here's what Peter's saying. We have a choice that we can make. It all comes down to choices. 
It, it all comes down to what do you decide to do. He gives a contrast of the lifestyles. It's a matter of choice. You're not who you were in regard to your actions. You can choose what? To live for your evil desires or you can choose to live for the will of God. It's a choice that you make. Joshua said the same thing to the people of Israel. He said, choose this day. Choose this day whom you will serve. You want to serve the gods of your fathers or the Lord your God? That's your decision. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a matter of choice that you choose to do. You're either going to take God at His word or you're not going to believe God at His word. You're not who you were. Look at verse 3. He goes on and says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable ideology. He says, that's what you were in your previous lifestyle. But you have a choice not to live that way. Some of you, you spend enough time satisfying your evil desires. Listen, too much time in sin is too much time. Any time you spend in sin is too much time. And you wasted your life. You're wasting it on things that do not matter instead of living your life for God. In verse 3, he begins to give a catalog of those evil desires. Now, that's not exhaustive. You know, uh, Peter wasn't here to write write a a lexicon of all the sins in the world that we commit. He just kind of narrowed it down uh, to some that were prevalent in that day. But he gives this catalog of sins, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable behavior. He saw six statements that describe the lifestyle of these individuals. And Peter said, we cannot choose to live in such a lifestyle even though at one time we chose to do so. That's the way we used to live. He said, we can't choose to live that way anymore. We lived to satisfy the evil desires. But now we ought to choose a life that satisfies the will of God. Do, do, you, do you think that debauchery is the will of God? Do you think that lust is the will of God? Do you think that drunkenness is the will of God? Do you think that orgies, do you think that carousing, do you think that detestable idolatry is the will of God? If you were just honest with yourself, say, no way, Jose. No way. Those things don't please God. Peter said at one time we lived that way. But now we have deliberately chosen to live a different way. Now, I know most of us probably didn't come out of that type of lifestyle. You know, know, most of us probably have not been redeemed from such things. But the fact of the matter is, you come out of some sin in your life. Some sin dominated your life. And the thing you've got to remember this, my friends, Jesus died for your sins. He became a substitute. So why do you want to go back to something that nailed him to the cross? Why do we want to go back to such a way? Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11, when he said these words. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, 
nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. But, and I love this, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But look at that phrase. That is what some of you were. Past tense. Not present, not future tense. Peter and Paul, it said, as a believer, you have a brand new purpose. As a believer, you have a new set of rules. As a believer, you have new guidelines. You now do not choose to live to satisfy your sinful nature. Now you live for the will of God. You live to please God in all you do and all you say. And if you would do that, you will live the greatest life you've ever lived. May not be healthy, may not be wealthy, you may not be wise, but you will live the greatest life that you've ever lived when you live for the will of God and not for yourself. And not to satisfy your sinful natures. There's another truth. I'm not who I was in regard to sin. I'm not who I was in regard to my actions. I'm not who I was in regard to my friends. Look at verse 4. They talk about these old people. They think it's strange. Not old people. He's talking about the older friends. Uh, I could have I almost talked about us, didn't I? Oh, the older people. As compared to the girls that sang up here. We're all old, right? No, no, that's not what I'm talking, okay? The old friends that you had, okay? <laughs> they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. He said, at one time, you had these friends that you hung out with. At one time, you had these relationships that you indulged in. But now that you're decided to walk for Jesus, now that you're deciding to live for this, guess what? They think you're weird. They think you are strange. At one time, you participated in those things. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, at one time, or Peter, at one time, you participated like this. This is the way you lived your life. But you don't live that way anymore. And so he, say, he says, they think it's strange. They, they don't understand what's going on with you. Uh, they think it's strange that you do this thing. And, and what's interesting about this passage is our, our former friends think we are strange. They think we're weird when we live for Jesus and don't live for the world. They don't think it's strange when you go out and get drunk and, hung, and hug the porcelain God. Uh, they don't think that's strange. They don't think it's strange when you go out and do drugs. They don't think it's strange when you, when you have sex outside of marriage. They don't think it's strange when you lie. When you cheat. They don't think it's strange when you do any type of sin. They don't think that's strange. What they find is strange is, is when, when, you, when you're faithful to your spouse. They think it's strange when you enjoy spending time with your family. They think it's strange when you go to church. And you read your Bible. Uh, they think that's strange when you, when you live for Jesus. You know, we, they think it's strange that you no longer engage in former activities. That's what they think is strange. That you don't do those type of things. When I was growing up, my best friend in life was Ricky Worley. I mean, how can you not like a Worley, you know? <laughs> you know, Ricky Worley, he was my... my uh, uncle's boy, and uh, his dad had passed away in a car wreck, so he, he spent a lot of time at my house, 
And we were about nine months apart. We were best friends. I mean, we were best buds. We hung out together, you know, everything. It was not unusual to find me spending two weeks at his house in the summer and him spending two weeks at the house in my summer. As we got older, he would come and live with us all through the summer, and he'd work with my dad. I'd work with my dad. He'd work with my dad. And then we hung out all the time, 24-7. We hung out, went to church together, went to movies together. We did everything together. We were best buds. As we got older and graduated from high school, he moved over to the area, and we still worked with my dad, both of us. He ran a crew, I ran a crew, we were best buddies, and, and this went on for a long time. We eventually both got married, and uh, we, we, we were still, once a week, we'd get together as a family and do something. We'd play cards or some other game, and we'd drink a few beers every, a few beers every now and then. I know, can you believe that? We'd drink a few beers, and every now and then, can I just every now and then we drank a few more than a few, okay? The point is, we enjoyed one another's company, Okay? We were good kids. We weren't doing anything wrong, but we enjoyed one of those company. But eventually, I felt that God had something different for my life. I felt that God was calling me into the pastorate. So I said, because God was calling me the pastor, I knew there were some things that I could not probably do or I shouldn't do anymore. Uh, and it wasn't so much drinking beer and all that stuff. It's just kind of the attitudes that I had. And so I began to change. I began to say, I've got to start doing things a little bit differently. I've got to start reading my Bible a little bit more, start going to church a little bit more, start, you know, start being a little bit more involved. You know, I was involved in church, but I wasn't involved in church, okay? I was in the church, but I wasn't really in the church, okay? So, yeah, so I, I did these things, and uh, what I began to notice is when I made a conscientious decision to make sure that what I do reflects the image of Christ, my cousin began to get a little bit more uncomfortable around me. We still hung out. I never preached to him. I never condemned him. We still did some of the same things that we did before. Instead of an ice-cold Coors, I drink an ice-cold iced tea, okay? Uh, that's, what, that's what we do. But he began to feel uncomfortable around me. And eventually, we began to drift apart. We began to drift away. And he went his way, and I went my way. My best friend. For 30 years. When I made a, a conscientious decision to start living for Jesus and quit living for myself, I knew there were certain things I could not do. I knew there were certain places I could not go. The people I used to hang around with, the people I used to associate with, they thought it was strange. They couldn't comprehend what I was doing. And listen, the same truth is evident in the life of every Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus, hear me on this. If you are a follower of Jesus, there are some things you can't continue to do. There are some places you can't continue to go. There are some people you just can't continue to associate with. Not that you're going to remove yourself from them, but they will remove themselves from you. Because you will make them uncomfortable. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have non-Christian friends. As a matter of fact, if you've been around me the last four and a half years, I tell you, you better have some non-Christian friends that you're pouring your life into. And it may take six months, it may take six years, but someday we hope they walk this aisle and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. But let me tell you how you, how you, you bring your lost friends into the kingdom. Uh, you, 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 don't, you don't hang a, a Jesus saves flag in your front yard. 
Okay, that's not going to do it. Uh, don't get a t-shirt that says turn or burn. Uh, don't get that, okay? Uh, don't make some radical statement, you know, uh, on a t-shirt. Just live your life honestly, influenced by Jesus Christ. And when they see the difference in your life, it may be strange to them. They may make fun of you. They may mock you a little bit. But in the back of the mind, they said, I wish I had what he had. I wish I had the family that they had. I wish I had the work ethic that they had. I wish I had the spirit that they had. I wish I had the love that they have. And they're watching you. They're watching you. And they may someday come up to you, can you tell me why you behave the way you do? And that will give you the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. No condemning, no preaching to them. Say, just let me tell you about one that I know. And just tell them your story. Oh, but preacher, I don't know the, the four spiritual laws. Neither do I. I don't know the Roman road to evangelism. I don't know of EE. I don't know CWT. I said, do you know Jesus? Amen. Just tell them about Jesus. Tell them what your life was like before you came to Jesus how you came to Jesus, and what your life is like today. Listen, folks, we talked about this on Sunday night. People are going to refute this scripture. They do not believe it's authoritative. They do not trust it. This is the society in which we live in. Get over it. it is, it's not like it was in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s with this God's word is truth. It is no longer accepted as a standard for truth. Understand that. We're dealing with a whole new society of people. They do not accept this truth. They may reject the gospel message, but what they cannot reject is a, ch is a changed life. They cannot refute that. Say, well, obviously something happened in your life. They can't challenge that. Why do you think three times in the book of Acts we have Paul's testimony? Paul's testimony. Paul's three times. Why? Because they can't challenge that. Obviously, Paul changed. What changed him? Maybe there's some truth in what he said. So we need to understand that. That's what will get their attention. We're not who we were in regard to sin. We're not who we were in regard to my actions. I'm not who I was in regard to my friends. Finally, and at least this last one leads right into the, third, the fourth point. I'm not who I was in regard to my testimony. Look at verses 5 through 6 one more time. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached. Even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Let me just cut to the chase. Let me get, get straight to the point of what, what Peter is trying to say and then, then make some applications for us, okay? Here's what Peter is saying. There's coming a time when everybody will be judged. Everybody. We will be judged by the works that we do here on earth, and we're going to be judged by God at the end of time. There's coming a time that we'll be judged. He says, we're going to be judged by men according to the way we lived our lives. That is a fact of nature. You're going to be judged by the way you lived your life according to men. They're going to look back at your life and say, how did you live your life? But then God says, but after that judgment by men, then there comes a judgment by God. And he's going to judge you based upon the way you lived for him or you did not live for him. That's what Peter's saying. There's something after death, and that is the judgment of God. And the final impact 
of sin is that there is an eternity in a terrible place called hell. And in hell, we will experience the devastating results of sin. And let me tell you what hell is like. The, the, the flames of hell will engrave themselves on the wall that say forever, forever, forever. I was reading something the other day. They said there's two severe pains in the world. One of them is childbirth, and the other one is being burned to death. They said that is greater than the pain of childbirth. Now stop and think about it. At least when you die from fires, you die. Not in hell. You live forever in intense pain. And you know what else happens in hell? The demons will shout in your ear, forever, forever, forever. And you will live with that for all eternity. That is the devastating result of sin. And listen, God doesn't send you to hell. He allows you to go. You know why he does that? Can I just tell you? Because he loves you. And he says, if you didn't want to have any relationship with me on earth, why would I make you spend eternity in my presence? I'm just letting you do what you want to do. Because he loves us. And he cares. He's just giving you your will. Your choice. There was a time when we did not care. We were immune from such teachings. But now on this side of the cross, guess what? We're concerned. <laughs> Can I tell you something? It's not enough to be concerned. We have got to be consumed with the fact that there are people outside these walls that are going to spend eternity in hell. We've got to be consumed by that. If that doesn't concern, if, that, if you're not consumed by the fact that there are people outside these walls and the schools that our kids go to in Baylor University and in, in the places where people work, that those people are going to spend eternity without Christ in a place called hell, then I pray for you. I pray for you. And I pray for our church. That we have become so comfortable. So comfortable. In our church pews. In our traditions. When we all get to heaven. I ain't worried about y'all getting to heaven. I'm worried about people going to hell. We have forgot what it's like to be lost. We forgot what it's like. And so we don't care. Oh, we care. We say we care. But our actions reveal something different. Peter says... Because there is a judgment. That's the reason the gospel is preached. The gospel is not preached to make saints feel good. The gospel is preached to keep sinners out of hell. 
The church was not created to be a country club for a bunch of saints. It's created to be a hospital for the lost and the dying. And when we forget our mission, when we forget our purpose, we might as well be called home now because we are no longer of any use in the kingdom of God. Peter says, for this reason, the gospel is preached, it's proclaimed. Why is that? So that people can have an opportunity to avoid the judgment to come. He says that's why it was preached in the past. That's why it's preached now. And guess what? That's why it will be preached until the day that Jesus comes. Because once Jesus comes, guess what? There's no other opportunity. That's it. That's it. Perhaps there's someone here today that you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. I don't proclaim these words to condemn you. I proclaim these words because I love you. And I want to spend eternity with you. Praising and worshiping God around the throne. And for you, maybe the first thing you need to do is recognize your own sin. And recognize that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. And if you accept Him as the payment for your sin, and you accept Him as your Lord and your Savior, it says that all your sins, listen to me, all your sins were nailed to the cross that day. And He will not hold them against you because He's paid the price for your sins. But because He's paid the price for your sins, now you choose to live for Him. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of works. That's any one of us a boast. But it also says we are Christ, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to glorify Him. For some of you, you need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You're religious. You're religious. Nicodemus was religious. He, he was a, a righteous and devout man. But he still came and Jesus said, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must experience new life. For some of you, you can do that this morning. Whatever decision God leads you to make, we're going to invite you to come. I'll be here at the front. Marcy's going to make it. Oh, Marcy's going to have to leave. I'm sorry. I'll be here at the front. I think I can handle it. If maybe there's somebody here you need to pray, you need to receive Jesus, the Lord, to save your life, I'll be here to talk with you. Whatever decision you make, we're going to invite you to come. Would you stand to your feet? Kip's going to come and lead us in a closing song. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you, Father, for the words of Peter. Lord, we thank you that we too can say in one voice, we're not who we were. God, we have been changed. We've been changed by the power of God. Father, we've been transformed by the living presence of the Holy Spirit that continues to move us in the direction that we need to go. Oh, God. Oh, God, touch our hearts for the things that touch yours. 
break our hearts, God, for the things that break yours. That, Lord, there are people outside these walls that have never heard the voice of Jesus. Our Father, they've never had an opportunity to respond to the voice of Jesus. And, Father, they will spend a Christless eternity. Father, perhaps there's someone here today that does not know Jesus. I pray, Father, that you touch their heart. And bring them, Father, into a love relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. And, Father, you will impart your grace upon them. And say, my child, your sins are forgiven in Christ. Now go and sin no more. Do not live under the power of sin anymore in your life. We give you this time. Speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.